Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 28th, 2014. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and are getting over uh, all the food and drink that you've perhaps taken and uh, you're taking your aspirins and all their stomach remedies, etc. And maybe kissing made up to those who you've had a few disagreements with when you were under their influence and everything's getting back to normal slowly as we go in and get ready for the new year, of course. And the new year will, will always be new every year, as long as we're alive, that is, then you're dead, then it's, you, you don't care anymore, you're, you're not around. But new year's coming up, and I'm sure lots of plans have been laid. In fact, I know they have been by governments, etc. Uh, and the world government, because they're all working together, for those who haven't noticed yet. <laughs> I don't know how you can miss it, but they all work together. And whatever one country puts through uh, as a test balloon or trial balloon, every country adopts the measures immediately too. And Lucidi, well, France is doing this. Why don't we do that as though it's okay? If they were beheading people in China, for instance, or if Saudi Arabia, where they sometimes do, then maybe we should do it too. That's, that's, the, that's the rationalization they give to the public for putting things forth. So I'll be touching on some of this tonight, but um, I don't really want to bore you too much and upset your festive spirit because after all, uh, as I say, this coming year will dish out all kinds of unpleasant news. In fact, that as long as you live, that's all you get. In fact, it's all you've had in the past for those who bore to follow it at all. And even though they put in all their happy stories, and mind you, the media were told years ago to start putting in happy stories, little trivia stories and, and things that make you smile. You know, somebody turns an old lady's purse and wallet and, and, and Bigu talks about that. So to make you think everything's just wonderful and peachy and to get you off what government's doing behind your back. And that's the way it is, because everything today is done by subterfuge and chronology. Chronology is a doctrine, folks, it's not, and an art too, it's an art form, and uh, there are professional chronologists out there that help to manage your minds for you, uh, everything that you think you know, uh, and what they're going to teach you in fact, is fact, right down to opinions on everything, and how to put things over up upon you uh, through uh, public relations marketing techniques which make the most unpleasant things and nasty things sound rather nice, so much so they might actually want to go along with it. And it works awfully well because they use psychology so much and behaviorism and neurologists and all the different ologists are involved in conning you because that's the art of conology, you see. But uh, we live in an incredible age, an era of greed, Managed and very organized greed. That's the beauty of you see, if you want to get awfully, awfully rich, you've got to be partly psychopathic or maybe a pure psychopath, but congenial enough to get on with other psychopaths and get up to the top. Then you can get really organized, you know, a big gang, and be very respectable, of course, because you start to, you're impervious then to media attacks uh, and you can, you can pull out lawyers as fast as you want. And, and keep everybody off your back. And then you train the public that you're respectable. It's a, an old method, and it's, it's, it works awfully well in a system where money is all-powerful, and that's what we live in today. Monopolies run everything, and that's the art of it. Monopolization, cornering every market, 
suppliers, uh, manufacturers, you name it, uh, even the ones who will sell, you corner those markets too by you will tell the purchaser what you're going to supply them with like Walmart does and what to do about it and what to sell it at and so on. So everything that you need to survive and everything you don't need to survive has been cornered by the big gangs at the top. Monopoly is, of course, very powerful. And they have uh, respectable, again, they're always respectable. They have respectable lobby groups who have uh, the handshakes going with Congress and politicians and bureaucrats across the world to make sure that uh, laws are passed to give them the right to sell their products uh, to, to you, basically, or even force it upon you. And to eliminate all competition. That's what you do. You always eliminate competition. There's nothing nice about business. And that's the way it is. Business is war. And that's what Japanese were taught by the West, actually, when they reconstructed Japan, that business is war. And the Japanese took that very, very seriously. The only difference is because of their, their, uh, their pride and and what they produced and so on, they made awfully, awfully good products far superior to, to that of the West, in fact, especially cars and things, and motorbikes, and electronics. I can remember years ago, uh, there was an awfully good documentary came out on built-in obsolescence, as it was called, went through some of the history of it. Other, others have come out since, but uh, where apparently, supposedly, it started with... Uh, uh, I think it's much older, but it started with electric light bulb when uh, uh, light bulb manufacturers eventually formed a cartel and all agreed to lower the standards of light bulbs so they wouldn't last as long. And they actually had a timetable of years to implement the next step of drop down, less, and less standard, and, and down and down and down until you, you had them, uh, the incandescent ones that would just pop after a few weeks sometimes, and that's good for business. They can keep churning these things out like crazy. But then it was spread across the whole the whole field, basically, and got worse in the 50s and in the 60s and in the 70s. It was standard across the board, and everything's plummeted ever since. Everything looks nice and shiny when you buy it brand new, lawnmowers, whatever it happens to be, but no time at all, they're rusting away, and that nice shiny paint is gone. And the things don't work very well, things break and all the rest of it. And I can remember in that first documentary many years ago, they talked about the Japanese auto industry that really took Europe and other parts of the world by storm uh, because it was so efficient, high fuel mileage, and uh, guaranteed to work all the time. They were just way superior in quality and dependability to anything produced in Europe and, and elsewhere. And then the, the American Auto Manufacturers Association, with some politicians from, from the U.S. government, went over to demand that Japanese, if they wanted to sell cars abroad and get imported into the States, for instance, they'd have to lower the quality to an extent. And the Japanese put up resistance about this. It was against their nature and their pride, this personal pride and national pride, to, to lower the quality of something. If they made something, they wanted it to be awfully good. Uh, a strange concept for the West. We'd all been brainwashed into buying junk. And um, you find that... It was a compromise made where the U.S. said, okay, make the bodies worse. Uh, uh, don't put primer on them underneath the paint, etc. Don't put so much paint on them. And they'll rust, you see. And so even though your engines will last a while uh, and be awfully good, 
that because it's a good selling point. Then, but the bodies will rust out and they will go on for for too long after, say, a few years, for instance. Well, the Japanese are awfully good at obeying orders, even though this can really confuse them. And they went overboard in the first few years. And the Japanese cars, the bodies were and the trucks were just rusting out like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and of course, the the American manufacturer associations of automobiles automobiles didn't want to tip them off and say, "Oh, well, you've kind of overdone it." Uh, it didn't want to tell them because it would mean less sales eventually in the U.S. and more American motors would get sold instead. Uh, but eventually, the Japanese caught on and made them a bit better. But uh, everything's monopolized. And those who can lobby government and afford to lobby government win, basically, from food prices to everything you can imagine. Everything's monopolies, folks. That's the whole point, you see, of cutting out all independence and freedom of production. In fact, free trade has nothing to do with freedom at all. It's to get everybody else out of, of the, the businesses uh, for contracts abroad and to keep the big, big contractors in. Uh, so that only their stuff can get sold, etc. Now I've gone through the history, lots of history, to do with all of this kind of thing uh, that I'll be talking about tonight in England to cutting through the matrix.com. Remember, make use of the archive section uh, because there's so much in it over so many years uh, that uh, you'll learn an awful lot. It's only people who get all their what they think are facts from television and listen to the major news all the time. Uh, who who are naive, they're kept naive. That's the whole purpose of TV really today. Uh, one of its main purposes is to keep you awfully incredibly naive with propaganda stories and dramas and fiction to make you think that there are good superior agencies always at work and that uh, criminality or, or even nastiness in people doesn't exist in any, any particular authorized authorities. And nothing's further from the truth. Of course, that's beautiful propaganda when it can brainwash you into believing that everything is there on the up and up. And pe- good people go into council, your local councils, for instance. Good people are taking care of your money that they tax off you for good purposes and so on. And of course, it isn't t- t- every, so, t- every so often they jack up the prices of taxes so high for local councils and so on, and areas and city councils. And then you find out that you, you just can't find it where the money's all gone. Because they won't tell you. Because it's going into a lot of pockets, folks. And friends and associations' pockets own big businesses and, and contractors' jobs and things like that. You see, they won't tell you. So uh, everything is really corrupt on the inside. And any institution, once it's an institution of any kind, uh, w- w- looks after its own interests and becomes secretive and paranoid even. And anything that they disclose to the public is put through filtering machines called marketing specialists, like uh, people who soften all the nasty bits or omit them all together to make things sound so wonderful and swell, just like the TV uh, and, you know, Leave it to Beaver or Andy of Maybury tells you. It's the same kind of thing. And that's basic propaganda. Because every everywhere you look, there really is corruption, incredible corruption. Another thing too, if if the corrupt ones go overboard with their corruption, 
they all get frightened because, because I suppose all of them on the way down in councils, etc., uh, who are all into it in some level or another. But when someone goes really overboard with it, they hush it up and they don't fire them or they don't just fire them and, and tell the public. They try ask them to ask them to resign quietly. That way it keeps it out the papers and stops any inquiry into, well, if this one was getting away with that for years, what about the rest of you, you see? All institutions do the same. Protect their own image. Image is so important. You'll even see it in in the different movies they put out there uh, where something happens, like, oh, a coming plague, a coming this, a coming that, whatever it happens to be. And the first thing they do in, say, Congress or the British Parliament is, well, don't don't tell the public, they'll panic. That's the excuse for everything. Don't tell the public, they'll panic. In other words, treat you like children. And they do. They do treat you like children. It's quite something. As long as it's put over in the mainstream news by a regular authority figure, the newscaster that you've learned to trust and watch for years. That's why they pay them so much to stay on, even when they're falling off their chairs at 80 years old. Now, everyone knows by now that the media, the mainstream media, works with governments. They've always worked with governments. Because that's how governments dream up the ideas to brainwash you, and it's put over upon you uh, by the media, you see. And if you can control all information, of course, as it did in the past, most folk really could swallow it and say, well, that's all, all the information they're getting, you see, from different stations that all give you the same news. And governments are always fudging figures, of course. It's, it's, it's the oldest game in the book, fudging figures for, for the economy and how good we're doing or whatever it, it happens to be, because uh, that's what governments do. They have whole departments that work literally on softening the blows or eliminating the blows altogether and making you think everything's just wonderful and cozy and rosy. But I've done so many talks in the past about the the, the war that's always going on, always going on, a a real organized war to utterly remake the whole world, all of the societies, into a new system planned a long time ago. And people work fervently, generation after generation, often from the same families or groups, put that way, and, and to make this all happen. And part of the old idea of perpetual war, and perpetual war, I remember I've read that too from the military magazine, the US military magazine, where they talked about perpetual war would be used across the world. It worked awfully well in their own country, in the US, and say Britain, and they'd export it across the entire Middle East and so on, and Africa and everywhere else, because it was the best way to destroy cultures. If you destroy cultures, the folk will not unify and stand up against an incomer or invader or whatever. That's very, very simple. But here's, here's how wonderfully they've fudged the story, you see, dished out by the government in Britain, and put across to you by the media. Probably It's probably a handout by the government. The government's like all these big corporate, they put handouts today to all the papers, and they publish them straight in there. It's, a lot of the reporters love it because they don't go out reporting anymore. They sit in their duff and have, hope that things get sent into them. So they're only too happy not to criticize it, etc. But here's a good example. And this article here is a, a recent one too. It's from The Telegraph, December 26th. 
And here's how they say this in the media. Britain edges past France on world stage. I thought it was going to be bad news at first, like, because oh, we know that France is pretty well bankrupt as well as everybody else. And, uh, and folk are getting out of, in droves from France, those with money, because their taxation is, is so incredibly high in a socialist system, you see. But it says, Britain edges past France on world stage. UK economy boosted by the inclusion of sex and drugs in national accounts overtakes France by a whisker to become the world's fifth largest economy. God help the ones underneath it if Britain's doing well, eh? But it says, it says that uh, LinkedIn, I think they call it LinkedIn, has banned profiles promoting sex work and prostitution, even if it's legal where users live. And officials, I have like to say things, officials, who, which officials, whose officials, estimates show, um, official estimates show prostitution added about £5.7 billion pounds to the UK economy in 2013, while illegal drugs were worth about £6.62 billion. Pounds. So it's a shake-up of the... Na- so here we are, this is how they refudge things. A shake-up, they call it, of the national accounts this summer. I guess they just grab a box and throw it in the air or something and catch it again. It, says, it showed, showed the UK's downturn. Now listen to the phrases. UK's downturn during the Great Recession. Shouldn't it be depression? Like, because it's never stopped in Britain, really. A few years were from, from maybe the 60s to the 70s, and then it started plummeting again. Well, all that folk had, really. But UK's downturn during the Great Recession was shorter and shallower than previously thought. So all the experts that did the same thing and reshuffled it were wrong the first time. Is that what, why are they called experts then, eh? And it helped Britain overtake the Gallic economy by a, a whisper this year. The Centre for Economics and Business Research said Britain's acceleration was also boosted by the inclusion of sex and drugs to UK growth. Isn't that wonderful? What we present in Pura Cross, eh? While the addition of prostitution and illegal drugs form part of new pan-European accounting standards, what standards did they have there, eh? France has refused to comply with the EU rules because it doesn't consider them to be voluntary commercial activities. Eric Dubois, a researcher at the INSEE France's statistics office, has described drugs as a dependency that does not involve free will. He said prostitution was a result of mafia networks, he doesn't mean Italian, and trafficking illegal immigrants. And it says here that uh, this helped the UK to overtake France, heavenly sex and drugs, by the narrowest of margins, CB, CEBR's analysis showed UK domestic growth, uh, domestic product, is expected to total $2.828 trillion, which is £1.816 trillion this year, compared with France's GDP of $2.827 trillion. The CEBR expects Britain to pull further ahead of France in the coming years. This is despite concerns about the sustainability of the UK recovery. Recovery. 
raised after further data revisions this week showed growth in five out of the previous six quarters was weaker than thought. So I guess that department better, you know, get that box of stats and so on and throw that up in the air as well and try to get a better reading on that one too. It says nominal UK GDP is expected to grow to 2.95 trillion in 2019 compared with 2.67 trillion in France. I, I guess... I guess that means even more prostitution until everybody's a prostitute and everybody's a drug taker. Eh? Isn't that wonderful news? Eh? Isn't that really wonderful? There's no criticism of this. There's no condemnation. And uh, it's, it's quite something. I mean, <laughs> again, moral relativity rules, rights, Where uh, all the different... Remember, these aren't just independent prostitutes, folks. There are whole chains of companies like like a chain can have prostitutes in, in, in all throughout the country. You see, monopolise the business, squeeze out the independent uh, streetwalker. I guess that's the whole idea. And but it's good news for the economy. They reduce the country to drugs and sex, and it's good. There you go. I said this would happen many years ago. Many years ago. Anyway, it goes on to say the French economy has barely grown this year, while the Eurozone is at risk of slipping into a deflationary spiral that economists say may lead to a Japanese-style lost decade. Britain is also on course to leapfrog Germany to become Europe's top economy by 2030, (laughs) helped by its younger workforce and position outside the Eurozone. I guess it must be bringing more young immigrants in because hardly it's having children. But everything is, is nonsense, isn't it? The way it's present, the presentation, what they give you as facts and figures, is all fudge nonsense. And it also trains you too. There's nothing wrong with prostitution and, and the big drug business, the cost of fortune on venereal diseases and treating them and so on, and police when the prostitutes get beaten up, etc. And um, never mind the rehab centres for all the drug addicts. That's good news, apparently. So it's business, you see, business for all these uh, spin-offs. And getting back to that article, Perpetual War, where the military said, remember that the military's involved in massive psychological operations and destruction of cultures. You don't know that. Most folk don't know that. But they said they'd export the, the Hollywood stuff and pornography and, and all that across the world to, de- to corrupt it all, destroy it, destruct it. It was even awfully successful, eh? It's like this, this article was just told you that it's paying off. Big time. For somebody. Somebody, eh? But that's the world we live in, folks. Perpetual war. Uh, terrorism and, and I suppose, the real world. And... Um, on the quiet side, under the covers, prostitution and drugs and so on, because it's good for business and uh, it brings a lot of money in for governments and so on like that. Because a fortune to police it all, by you, you pay for all. You see, you pray for all, all private business. For those who don't know that, we, the private business, big private business, has always got its hands out for bailouts all the time. Uh, it doesn't matter what big corporation it is, we, we, we support them and finance them and so on. They rake in the profit, and you pay for all this, the, 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 the fallouts on society uh, and the cleanups, etc., etc. That's how they run things today. And 
then we go into this article here, and it's quite, again, it's another one. It's, I've gone through again the experiments that military have done over years on their own general population. Again, totally different from movies because movies, they, they show you all these authorities are there to help you and they care about you. They're one of you. Every member that works for as one of you. And they're there to make sure nothing happens to you. But I've shown uh, the documentaries, put the links up to do with when they sprayed Britain and Norfolk, for instance, uh, with with uh, nasty substances from the from the sea, and it blew across the the mainland. That was the purpose of the exercise: cadmium and things like that, highly carcinogenous, and uh, a big carcinogen, and many other things too. And that came out, by the way, from the U.S. because a U.S. officer was involved to go over uh, and watch what was happening there a U.S. military guy, and he came back to the States, and he was so horrified, eventually he he managed to stop and trying the same thing in the States, at least on that particular project. They've done many other things in the States too. But um, that's, that's what they do. And then she wants to spray with this stuff. They follow you with the National Health Service for the rest of your life to see how many folk in that area get, say, genetic uh, malformations, or cancers, uh, children with, who are malformed, genetic uh, changes, and so on. And it's a great way to, to keep track of what's going on, you see. And government didn't say, can we have volunteers? For no, no, they just go ahead and they do it. And that was only one experiment. And that was where, it wasn't just Norfolk. It was a few, they did it in different places down, especially the East Coast. They even had trucks driving around with the gas coming out the top. Ah. And it's never ending, you know, these tests. And it's only, you know, when when things leak out or, or the Official Secret Act is up for that particular project, they'll mention it to a generation that either wasn't born then or they were too young to, not, not to care now, you see. They don't care. And it's always used as the same excuse. Well, it's in case any enemy uses this. You want to know the effects of it. Anyway, Scots orphans are used in military experiments from the Daily Express, December 21st. And it says that uh, Lennox Castle, they show you Lennox Castle, is one of four Scottish institutions alleged to have been involved. <laughs> the allegations centre on at least four institutions where thousands of children are said to have been experimented upon in conditions described as like something out of Auschwitz. It's alleged that Porton Down, Porton Down is a big military establishment for all the bacterial warfare stuff uh, in, for, in Britain. And I think they moved in our place recently, not too long ago, but um, they got them all over the world, of course, these places. It's alleged that Porton Down, top seat military facility in Wiltshire, was involved in trialling drugs for use in the Cold War on youngsters who were regarded as feeble-minded. One survivor told the paper he has uh, obtained written and video evidence that will pass to the public inquiry into historical abuse of children in care when it begins, begins next year. Again, they use these terms like in care. Because you never suspect, or the child's been taken into care. You never suspect it. It sounds like, well, they're going to care for that child. Oh, really? Yeah. Since the man now in his 50s has been advised by lawyers to conceal his identity for his own safety until his full submission can be lodged at the inquiry announced by Scottish Education Secretary Angela Constance. 
However, he was willing to divulge some of his intended testimony about the treatment he and others suffered. He said six- and seven-year-olds were tied to racks and given electric shocks, just like they were doing in Canada and other countries too, with MK Ultra and various other things, experimentation with LSD. He said, I was incarcerated with orderlies armed with rubber coshes. We were imprisoned, experimented upon, lobotomies. He says, you name it, they did it. And he says, um, I was classified as a, a misfit, a mental oddity, made a ward of the court. Once you're a ward of the court, folks, the, the, the state owns you. They can do what they want with you. But um, again, if you're disagreeable, or today of course they'd be called antisocial behavior or something, or or um, you're talking back all the time, or you're asking questions, which you don't like anymore, they drug you in school for that. And it says, uh, a misfit. It says, my mother was killed, I guess, in an accident or something, and I became an orphan, so they took it upon themselves to have me experimented upon. And it says, the witness believes that there may have been as many as 3,500 children who were involved in the Portland Down testing program over the years. It says, uh, the drug program ran from 1948 to 1982. It may have continued, for all we know. So I believe this happens throughout the UK, but I'm referring to Scotland. He says, I've got evidence on paper and film, and I'll hand it to the public inquiry. I hope he's got lots of copies made, because things tend to disappear once you hand them officially in. And he says, Lennox Castle Hospital was closed in 2002, and it's now the site of the, the Celtic Football Club's training ground, was home to children and adults with learning difficulties or conditions such as Down syndrome as well as truants, unmarried mothers, and wayward teenagers. It says, Last night, Professor Ulf Schmidt of the University of Kent, Britain's leading expert on human experimentation at Porton Down, said he'd never heard of a drug trial program involving orphans. I guess he must meant in Britain, because it came out in the States, we're trying it in the States as well. The reason black children, too, to experiment on, etc., etc., it's well exposed and, and well known and admitted to eventually. He added, this is not to say these experiments didn't happen, but I'd be very cautious in dealing with these allegations. Well, these experts always work for their side, of course. You know, that's their job is to soften things or discredit them. But he says, some stories have appeared and reappeared over the past 50 years, including a similar one about drug testing and euthanasia involving elderly people that was eventually shown to be false. Six years ago, hundreds of veterans who volunteered to take part in tests at Porton Down were offered £3 million in compensation. Of course, they were offered that £3 million by the government that probably denied that, that um, it never happened, you see. But anyway, these, these, uh, these volunteers at Porton Down were exposed to nerve agents such as sarin gas and hallucinogens such as LSD. In the most infamous case from 1953, Ronald Madison took part in a trial of what he believed he was a cold remedy, but died within an hour of having siren dabbed on his arm. Other important down experiments included spraying bacteria over the south coast of England and dropping cancer-causing particles from planes, and that's all well documented and filmed and photographed and put documentaries about it since, because no one cares nowadays, you see. This is, and uh, Grenard Islands in Western Ross had to be sealed off for almost 50 years after it was contaminated with anthrax during the Second World War. There's old documentaries up on that, and you see them uh, exploding these things across the hillsides with sheep on them to test them. And um, 
did it elsewhere too, by the way. And uh, it, it created, well, it's still supposedly contaminated today, although the Navy does still go in and out of there. It says, Portland Down is the home of the Defence Science and Technology Laboratory, an agency of the Ministry of Defence. And a spokeswoman said, I mean, a PR agent, you see, we're not aware of any tests involving children at Portland Down and have seen absolutely no evidence to back up these claims. That's what the government tells you, you see. But we're, I can remember Ronald Reagan uh, when he said that the, the, the most terrifying words that a citizen can hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Hasn't changed, never will. Never will. And talking about the, the society going down the tubes, of course, because we're, we're so, we're becoming more progressive. We're progressive today, you see. And free. We're freer than ever before, you know. That's what they keep telling you. And uh, we've got different values, yeah, different values, but uh, we're still progressive. What is progress? Def- who defines what progress is? Because no matter how worse and worse it gets, you've got these, these different groups for government saying, uh, they're always talking about pro- every speech they make, progress. Families are defunct and dysfunctional. We've got legal and illegal prostitution and they go and drugs all over the place, shipped in by governments, of course. And uh, and uh, they've given you years and years of the music going down because you must always use culture industry to destroy everything, including entertainment of all kinds. And because uh, people emulate what they see. But this teenager shot dead by a shopper after he tried to steal his limited edition Nike Air Jordans that had just sold out in a store. And Jawad Jabbar, 16, of Middletown, Ohio, went to Dayton Mall to buy Nikes. The sports shop sold out of them and the teenager became desperate. Imagine getting desperate because some he didn't need had been sold out. So he pulled a gun on a... This is 16 years old. He pulled a gun on a shopper who had just bought a pair of the sneakers. The shopper also had a gun and shot the teen dead outside the mall. These things are probably made in China for about 50 cents. Everything else is. But they sell it for a big, big price over here. Make it cheap, massive profit, maximize profit, and publicize it. And the schmucks buy it. So it says the... It says here the, the shopper was also carrying a gun and had a permit for it and shot Jabbar, who died a short time later of a gunshot wound to his torso, the authorities said. And uh, it says the police chief, Ronald Hess, said initial investigation showed that the teens were outside on a sidewalk when the two men left the mall carrying newly bought shoes. Jabbar displayed a gun and demanded their merchandise. Then the man with the concealed weapon permit pulled his gun and shot him. No one else was injured. So according to the police, two groups didn't know each other but had all gone to the mall south of Dayton, Ohio, for the Nike Air Jordan sales offered by multiple stores. Uh, just, the stores had set up a system to, to, uh, to avoid long, tense lines that have been led to problems elsewhere when a popular brand has, had released new versions of the Middletown. But the Middletown teens missed out, it says. The other two teens involved in the shooting are being held in juvenile detention while the investigation continues. Well, I've had years of uh, gangster, gangster rap, you see, gangster. 
And this is what you get from the culture industry. Because that's who promoted it all. That's who created it all, too. Quite something, right? And as they finish off countries totally, completely, as they've been doing for years in some countries in the West, it says the UK border controls at Terminal 5 Heathrow European Freedom of Movements rules do not allow family members of EU citizens to be blocked if they don't have a visa. So Britain cannot impose a blanket visa requirement on family members originally from outside Europe, but who have, who have valid EU residence rights, the European Court of Justice has ruled. And it goes on with this story, but the fact is, see, many folk have gone, come for years from, say, from India or Africa and different places. They, they manage to get three years into a country, they get a, a residency, and then they go into another European country and then send for the relatives who are still back in the original country. So it's, it's just the ongoing uh, destruction of it. It says, um, Britain cannot impose a blanket visa requirement on family members originally from outside Europe. So the decision is another setback in the government's campaign to control immigration from the European Union. They have never tried to control it. That stopped really back in the 60s, I think. And sped up and sped up. Concluded that the EU's freedom of movement rules trump British claims that visas were needed to combat abuse of EU residence card system. The judges in Luxembourg said the Colombian wife of Sean McCarthy, a dual British and Irish national living in Spain, didn't need a UK visa or family permit to visit Britain. So that's it. The permit, see, the permit should only go for valid for six months, so now they can just come in and stay. You don't need it. So it's just an ongoing war, you see, to destroy all, all that was and all the nations that were. That's all. And the other big news, too, has to do with all the different bills they ran through at Christmas time. We haven't got a list of them yet. Only one or two. Generally, wait until all the congressmen have gone home and four of them sit there and, and, and pass laws. That's how the U.S. Federal Reserve was put in, in fact, I believe. It's a great time to do it. And I've never covered that loophole or closed that loophole to stop them doing it again. Of course, that's why they leave it open, just like the bankers' bailouts and all the rest of it keep going and going and going. But because there's so much corruption uh, across the board today and money, big, wherever you see big pots of money being gathered, there's, there's corruption involved. Often started up, up like Ponzi schemes by the, 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 the shysters, the, the con men, who become the heads of things, you see. They start that up with the, with the intention of plundering it down the road. Anyway, it says more than 100,000 New Yorkers could face cuts in their union pensions in coming years, thanks to provision that was tucked into Congress's omnibus spending bill this month to keep the federal government funded for another year. The bit lots more will be stuck in there, thousands of pages as always. The measure would, under certain conditions, allow cuts to what are known as multi-employer pensions. These are union-run plans that cover workers who may have had a variety of different employers in a given industry, such as trucking or mining. After hits from the 2008 Wall Street crash and declining union membership, some of of these plans are underfunded and won't have the money in the long run to meet their obligations. It's always getting spent as it comes in and loaned out for other big businesses, so that's what you use the money for. 
Some of the unions, such as the Teamsters with its central state's pension fund, lobbied for the amendment since they may have to make the cuts to stay solvent. About 150 such plans nationally could be affected. This is in the States, of course. This year was starting out to gain traction politically as a variety of groups questioned why the amendment was passed with little discussion and whether there are alternatives to keep these pension funds healthy. These were pensions that were guaranteed. The AARP New York spokesman Eric Chris said early Monday on Capital Press Room Radio show, and so it's a bad precedent. We wanted alternatives, said Jolene Leville of the Pension Rights Centre. This is, um, she stressed that cuts, if made, would take at least a year to carry out. In order to make a reduction, a pension plan would have to be deemed as having critical status or below 60% funding and declining. It's unclear how many pension funds will have to make reductions. If a fund in this category didn't make the cuts, the Federal Department of Treasury could order the reductions if they posed a threat to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corps. That's the federal agency which backstops private pensions to provide at least some assurance that retirees will get checks. But in the worst case, the pensions pay meager amounts, often below $13,000 per annum, I guess. The Federal Department of Labor enlists multi-employer pensions that in 2014 entered critical status, but doesn't show those that are declining. It goes on to say here that the Federal Department of Labor lists multi-employer pensions that in 2014 entered the critical status business show those that are declining. In New York, critical funds included the 1199 SEIU Greater New York Pension Plan, Bricklayers and Allied Crafts Workers Local 5, and 32BJ North Pension Fund. These are all funds for people who worked in the private sector. Public sector employee pensions, those by work for the state, are protected by New York State Constitution, as always. Every country does that. The government can raise taxes or make cuts elsewhere if it runs short of money for public sector pensions. They're like their own, right? <laughs> and uh, it says, um, according to ARP, 59 pension uh, plans affecting 100,632 New York retirees could be affected by the cuts if they go through. The average benefit the pension benefit is $6,965 per year, but after cuts that could fall as low as 2322 annually, it says. Hmm. So, well, they should take a leaf from Britain. Apparently they're really thriving with prostitution and drugs. Uh, so to speak, it pulled them out the hole. Anyway, um, that, that's what's happening, folks. Uh, it was always intended this happen at this time. And you're going down into austerity, as I've said for years and years and years. When the big boys talked about austerity and the mainstream parted it all to you, that was the agenda. Uh, the, all your spending money one day will be to bare essentials to scrape through. Bare essentials and necessities. That's, that's the old idea. And this article, too, is from the Daily Caller. And it says, International Brotherhood of Teamsters, General President Jimmy Hoffa Jr., is suspected by his members of trying to squash a union comprised of some of his own Teamster organizers. His battle with his own organizers at union overlaps with a host of other problems for the prominent labor leader, including a pension crisis that's undercutting his support and a potential UPS strike that might not be able to afford, it says to insiders. 
Hofstall has not granted a contract to the Federation of Agents and International Representatives, a union which represents Teamsters organisers. The National Labour Relations Board allowed FAIR, this other company, to represent some of Teamsters organisations last year in the negotiations with Hoffa after organisers voted 18-16 to to, to unionise in a Teamsters election. So, the battles are already underway with all of this kind of stuff, as you can see. And also, this article here, it says, uh, Union retirees don't cut my pension. More than a million current and retired truck drivers, construction workers, and other union employees could see their, benef- their pension benefits cut now that Congress has passed a controversial new measure. I'll put all these links up, right, remember, and if you're interested or it may affect you, uh, you should look them up. It says, but retirees aren't exactly seeing it that way. Many give up uh, years of pay increases and contribute thousands of dollars from their salaries each year towards their promised pensions. And that's what the company's been doing for years. Hey, well, if they cut back and less money, work for less money for a better tomorrow, and you always get screwed at the end. That's the standard stuff, isn't it? As a result, many uh, have little savings outside their pension benefits and Social Security checks. Are not, and they aren't sure how to make ends meet if the cuts go through. And um, this gives you an example of one man. It says, in the worst-case scenario, it says, uh, Shaid, Shaid, his name is, I think it's, could see this particular guy, a uh, 63-year-old, uh, it says, uh, who worked loading and unloading trucks for years and years, he says, you could see his current annual benefits of around $37,000 a year reduced to as little as $15,000. He receives his checks from the Central State Southeast and Southwest Areas Pension Fund, one of the multi-employer plans is now qualified to cut benefits under the law. They can do anything they want to you under the law. If they don't have a law there, they simply put one in. And that's legal, you see, to screw you. That's what you vote for, folks. Haven't you learned? That's why you vote for these people who, who take care of you, you know, the, the authorities, you know, who are these servants, supposedly, public servants and stuff like that, to take care of your well-being and all that. And you keep voting for them. Hell is repetition, eh? Hmm. And this is quite an interesting little article, too. For years and years, using the environmental movement and so on, the big corporations have been taking over vast swaths of land across the world, Canada and the States and elsewhere. And eventually, of course, the big corporations will get the rights to use them as carbon sinks and claim tax money for it and all that kind of thing, money from you, for doing nothing. And also, under all the different UN agreements they've made, these wilderness areas, as they call them, uh, the, the government can authorize certain corporations to go in and drill to extract things. You know, the same crew, as always. But it says that... Um, a proposal to designate more than 250,000 acres in the western U.S. as wilderness, thereby replacing severe restrictions on land use and having the potential to ultimately drive ranchers out of business, you know, small competitors sort of thing, compared against the big boys, was quietly inserted into the National Defense Authorization Act by House and Senate lawmakers Tuesday night. National Defense Authorization Act. And it says Senator Ted Cruz in a statement Wednesday called the move an extreme land grab and urged House and Senate to reject this attempt by self-serving politicians uh, 
to exploit the men and women of the military to serve their special interests. So they're using the, as I say, the National Defence Authorisation Act to put this through. The new wilderness area includes portions of New Mexico, Washington, Colorado, Nevada and Montana. It says wilderness designations were created by the Wilderness Act in 1964. Wilderness is defined as an area of undeveloped federal and land retaining its primeval character and influence without permanent improvements or human habitation, which is protected and managed so as to preserve its natural conditions. This is government land regulations, including wilderness designations, are investigated in the Blazes TV season finale, our final episode, for the record, it's called, for the record, the final episode, Losing Our Land, Wednesday, December 3rd, 8 p.m. And it says, for ranchers who use public lands to graze their cattle, wilderness designation can mean severe restrictions, both in the number of cattle they're allowed to raise and how they're allowed to maintain their land. John Fowler is an agriculture economist at New York, or New Mexico State University, who studied the impact of wilderness designations on ranching. He says that despite promises from Congress that wilderness designations would not hurt the allotment or number of cows a rancher is allowed to raise on a certain piece of land, in reality they represent a crushing blow. It's on to say that for ranchers who use public lands to graze their cattle, Wilderness designation can mean severe restrictions with a number of cattle, etc. But says John Fowler is an agricultural economist at New Mexico State University who studied the impact of wilderness designations on ranching. He said, despite promises from Congress that wilderness designations uh, would not hurt the allotment or number of cows a rancher is allowed to raise on a certain piece of land, in reality they represent a crushing blow. The ranches around the wilderness were cut by 55%. But those ranches that were in the heart of the wilderness have lost up to 95% of their capacity, Fowler told for the record. Walt Anderson, a rancher in southern New Mexico, said that being limited to smaller herds of cattle can drive people out of business quickly. He says that a real easy way to come in and cut your cattle numbers is to point that you can no longer function, Anderson said. You can't pay your taxes, you can't keep up your waters. Another impact on ranchers and wilderness areas comes from the restrictions placed on motorized vehicles. And just listening to this, I've always said that. You see, they just make rules and rules until it's impossible to do anything. They'll say, well, we're not stopping you doing it, but they put all these rules down. Here's, here's how they do it. It says, instead of using a pickup or four-wheeler to build and maintain water systems and other critical infrastructure, even bring in feeding, everything must be hauled in by horse or other pack animal. You tell them, okay, you've got to do it all on horseback now. Load up, pack meal, load up your pickup and go do it on horseback. It says you, you can't do it mechanically, which was put in mechanically to start with, Anderson says. The water lines have to be repaired, etc. So there's how they do it, folks. Yeah. That's how they do it. Corporations only, international corporations only, you see. Big corporations only. Small private businesses to be completely uh, obliterated. And have been driving small business under for years and years and years of all kinds. Now, the beauty of two of Monopoly is once they get it monopolized, they can do what they want. And again, they're big lobby guys that donate to get guys to run for elections and so on as well. Every donation member is really a, a, a bribe. We put you in and this is what you put do for us when you're in. You see, they call it lobbying. But it says power generation firms 
uh, and from Britain are, are to receive close to £1 billion to ensure their plants stay open and prevent blackouts. Well, they'll get it, or they already get paid for that. That's what you're paying for. The payments will add £11 to an average electricity, uh, household electricity bill according to the Department of Energy and Climate Change. And climate change. The government has decided the outcome is good news for consumers. It's good news. You have to spin it for you. Which guaranteed security of supply. But critics of the new plans say that most of the payments will go to plants that would have remained open anyway. And that's true. You see? This is more profit, that's all. Around 50 firms took part in an auction this weekend to secure the capacity of payments. In return, the company is guaranteed to keep their plants available uh, during periods of peak demand and to back up intermittent wind generation. More than 49 gigawatts of capacity was securely delivered uh, for 2018-19, uh, or will be, it says, uh, 2018-19. So it's guaranteed. They can guarantee it now for then, of course, and then they'll say, well, we couldn't manage it. But it says a price of £19.40 uh, per kilowatt. This has blown some estimates that led to falls in the shares of some energy firms. You see, it's all about the fallen shares for the big stockholders. The Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Energy, Ed Davey, described the result as fantastic news for bill payers and business. It's great, you're paying more. It's fantastic news. Wow, look on the bright side, eh? We are guaranteeing security at the lowest cost for consumers, he says. We've done this by ensuring that we will get the best out of our existing power stations and unlocking new investment in flexible plant. Uh, plant it's a flexible plant, eh? But his critics of the scheme argue that it will keep older pollutant coal plants, or this is another environmental group, on the system for longer, which could hold back investment in new cleaner technologies. Like what? More wind farms? Greenpeace, <laughs> here's, see, they get, see how they play it all with all, all their big NGOs that work for the big corporations, eh? Said that six coal plants were described as amongst the most pollutant in Europe would receive payments running to hundreds of millions of pounds. Well, heck, we're giving money to places like India, an emerging nation under the World Trade Organization and the United Nations, to build more and more coal mines, eh? But that's okay for that. That's okay for that. But not for you. No. No. I guess that's what they call clean money, eh? Make, make it make clean energy, clean money. More, more profits, massive profits for the big boys at the top. And it's, it goes on and on and on. Uh, cash bonuses and so on to these power stations. It says, giving a cash bonus to already profitable power stations just to keep doing what they're already doing <laughs> won't make Britain more energy secure in the long term. For this to happen, we need investments in a modern, smart, flexible energy infrastructure, said Greenpeace UK energy campaigner Lawrence Carter. What we should do is get all these NGO greenies and, and get some exercise bicycles, put the belt for the back wheel on a little generator, and then you can hook up all these generators, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and get them pedalling to keep us all safe and breathing nice air and stuff. And, and mind you, it'll give a lot of CO2 as you breathe faster and heavier. If they work on that one, maybe you could tax them on that. I don't know, I don't know. Mohawk's well, got lots of possibilities, you know. And then China is to pay £100 million for 80% stake in three UK wind farms. 
China's biggest nuclear energy firms about to enter the European market and buys by the three UK wind farms from EDF for £100 million, its first outside of China. The move by state-owned China General Nuclear Corporation is just great having us a communist system that's fascist and capitalist at the same time, isn't it? You've got a whole population willing to work for peanuts, and you've got a lot of money to play with then at the top. Anyway, it says, will be announced on Monday, FT.com reported Sunday, China's CCGN will take an 80% stake in the wind farms, and EDF will keep 20%. EDF will also operate the facilities and buy the electricity generated. Together, the sites will produce more than 70 megawatts of electricity, enough to power 40,000 homes, FT reports. China is also negotiating a deal to team up with Electricity de France to build two nuclear reactors at the Hinkley Point site in southwest England. See, there is divvying up countries now with free trade deals with big, big international corporations, eh? In 2013, the two biggest Chinese companies, CNNC and CGN, together made a bid to take over 4% Britain's Hinkley Point nuclear plant and so on, or project. And it goes on and on about that as well. But, uh, yeah... This, it's China's the model state for the world. It's much better, you know, when you only have one kind of government, Politburo, one, two, three, four, five, and a, a head honcho, and you can pay your peasants' peasants' wages, you know, make them for stuff awfully, awfully cheap, and sell it for a big profit abroad. You see. And just to get into the weather nonsense and so on, I mean, here I've had a little bit of thaw because you sometimes get it in January. They used to call it the January thaw, but sometimes you get it in December. So there's been a little bit of a thaw. There's still snow and lots of ice on, on the ground right now, and we're back down to freezing. And it's to go down to way below freezing for the next week or so. But it says here, uh, this, is, this is in uh, Britain, um, UK, it says... Cars abandoned and 100,000 people without power as winter storms cause chaos. They shouldn't have to worry about without power because, believe you me, they're going to guarantee it in a few years' time you're going to have power, you know, just like that. Money proves it, you see, all that money. But it says, Violent winter storms have wreaked havoc across the UK, causing travel chaos as vast swathes, swathes of Britain were hit by snow and ice. This is after the Met told them we're going to have one of the warmest winters of all. And it says, sleet and snow hit the north of England, the Midlands and Scotland, and Met, the Met Office has warned that nearly all UK has been gripped by ice. The freezing weather has brought treacherous conditions to the road, with many motorists in Sheffield forced to abandon their cars after becoming snowed in. More than 100,000 homes were left with power shortages as heavy snow wreaked havoc on the electricity cables. A Western Power Distribution spokesman said 36,000 customers were left without power, and another 69,000 had short interruptions on. It says, as the winter weather front moves across the country, the Met Office has warned there's a 90% chance of more severe cold ice and snow striking between today and New Year. The cold weather alerts has also raised fears of an increase in the health risk of vulnerable patients. It means it will kill off more pensioners and so And a potential disruption of the delivery services. Uh, and they've been warned not to travel, motorists and so on, unless absolutely necessary. It's really good when you get global warming like that. Lots and lots of people have been stranded and uh, lots of cars abandoned and so on and so on and so on. So, uh, there you go. That's the show, Jai. 
And to, to, to finish up tonight, it's quite interesting. And on Breitbart, it says, uh, Noah Gates, that's N-O-A-A, Gates, how ocean acidification could turn out to be the biggest con since Michael Mann's hockey stick. Christmas had become a couple of days early for climate skeptics and what may be proved to be one of the biggest blows to the global warming religion since Climate Gate. This time, the pillar of green faith, which has been rudely dismantled by skeptical investors, is alleged a phenomenon known as ocean acidification. For years, this has been touted by environmentalists as possibly the greatest threat to the planet after global warming. According to Jane Lubchenco, the head of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, it is climate change's equally twin evil because of the disastrous consequences it may have for everything from the navigational systems of spawning salmon to the health of coral reefs. Wow. Have they made a science fiction movie about this one yet? Ocean acidification. I don't know. It's good for brainwashing folk. But it says, Ocean acidification is said to be caused when excess atmospheric carbon dioxide is absorbed by the sea, reducing its pH levels to make it more acidic. But as what's up with that reports, new evidence unearthed by an inquisitive graduate student suggests that all that ocean acidification may be a scientific fraud to rank with the greatest man-made global warming scare. At the centre of the scandal is NOAA, the US federal agency, agency which measures and researches changes in the oceans and atmosphere, and which maintains one of the, the, the temperature data sets that used to measure global warming. You know, all these computer, the computer imagines that it's going to be by the imaginative guys that feed stuff into it. This is one of NOAA's departments, the Pacific Marine Environmental Laboratory, also happens to be one of the mainstays of the alarmist narrative about ocean acidification. So its own department, you see, is the one putting it out. A 2004 paper by two of PMEL's senior oceanographers, Dr. Richard Freely and Dr. Christopher Sabine, is often cited in support of ocean acidification theory and is reproduced in a simple form at NOAA's website. I'll put the link up for that too. It also forms part of a testament that Freely gave to Congress in 2010, again to the effect that increasing atmospheric CO2 is causing a reduction in seawater pH. It warns, it says, the impact of ocean acidification on shelled organisms and other animals could negatively affect marine food webs, and when combined with other climate changes, could substantially alter the number, variety, and health of ocean wildlife. As humans continue to send more and more carbon dioxide into the oceans, as humans are doing it, humans are doing it, you see, ooh, the impacts on marine ecosystems will be direct and profound. And then it says, the message is clear, excessive carbon dioxide poses a threat to the health of our oceans. However, now it seems that the paper's certainty is at best misplaced, at worst outright dishonest, not unlike Michael Mann's discredited hockey stick graph that appears to depend on cherry-picked data and misleading projections on defiance of real-world evidence. The alleged fraud was uncovered by Mike Wallace, a hydrologist with nearly 30 years' experience now working towards his PhD at the University of New Mexico. While studying a chart produced by Freely and Sabine, apparently showing a strong correlation between rising atmospheric CO2 levels and falling ocean pH levels, Wallace noticed that some key information had been omitted. 
mysteriously the chart only began in 1988, the one that uh, these two characters had used. But Wallace knew for a fact there were ocean pH measurements dating back to at least 100 years earlier and was puzzled that this solid data had been ignored in favour of computer model projections. <laughs> Same old story, eh? When Wallace uh, emailed his query to Freely and Sabine, however, he found them less than helpful. And Sabine replied that it was inappropriate for Wallace to impugn the motives or quality of her science and warned that if you continued in this manner, you will not, not last long in your career. Isn't that the typical warning, eh? eh? Having provided Wallace with a few links, all of which turned out to be useless, he concluded his email by saying, I hope you will refrain from contacting me again. This response again caused to mind the behaviour of Michael Mann in response to queries from Steve McIntyre about where to find the raw data for his hockey stick. Mann was similarly obfuscatory, rude and dismissive. Undeterred, Wallace eventually got hold of the instrumental records which Freely and Sabine had chosen to exclude from their graph of doom and plotted a time series chart of his own covering the period from 1910 to the present. His results were surprising. What they suggest is that global acidification is a figment of Feely's and Sabine's imagination. There's been no reduction in oceanic pH levels in the last century. Wallace says oceanic acidification may seem like a minor issue to some, but besides being wrong, it is crucial leg to the entire narrative of human-influenced climate change. Remember what the, the guys who dreamed all this idea up, the Club of Rome said in about 1978, they said that man, they were looking for something to, to, to cut back the population and everything else. And they thought, well, the climate and famine and so on would be, the, they would use that, uh, the climate change and you know, global warming and so on. And um, so therefore man was the enemy. This is the standard stuff. So it says that um, human influence climate change. Oh, you see. He adds... In whose professional world is it acceptable to omit the majority of the data and also not disclose admission to any other solar congressional body? And it gives you the background of the story, the whole story. And you can read Marita Noon's full account and they give the link for Marita Noon and so on and so on. But that's the world you live in, folks. Everything's fudged. All the data's fudged when the big agendas have been planned and agreed upon by, the, you know, the secret boys that really run your world for you. Because all your countries are on board with it On every issue, in fact There's no dissension whatsoever As long as you get to split the loot For the big, big, um, really corporate owners at the top, really uh, All the politicians will do what they're told Exactly what they're told And that's just a little bit of food for thought As I say, for uh, before the new year And... Uh, I hope you're all doing well and not letting it all get to you because seeing through the cons helps you. It helps you. Uh, you expect them to lie to you and con you all the time because you, you live in the age of lies and conology. It's the way it's been for a while. It's all professionally done now, you see. And since mass media gets the, the, the so-called news, news doesn't mean truth or fact. It means it, it's, here's new nonsense, you see. As long as they get that out to you, the whole world at the same time, and everybody starts prattling about it, well, they think it's true. It's quite simple, isn't it? And you're awfully impressed by You've been taught to be impressed by people with lots of letters behind their names. Oh, he's an expert, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And, and uh, he'll prattle his head off. This guy is living off you, the taxpayer, to dream up absolute nonsense. 
in ancient times he would be he would be he'd be channeling Moses or somebody and writing it in some book. I mean, this is the, these are the sort of characters that run the world, uh, and you, got, you you've been taught to respect them. You see. So easy to con you. I mean, you have all these experts running the economies, and they're never getting anything right, apparently. They never see depressions. They never see crashes. It's always it's a complete shock to them as it is to you, for goodness sake. So how can you be experts in anything? Everything is a joke. All, everything's to do with another agenda. And agendas run on scam after scam after scam. They can't say to you, Oh, please stop. Stop having children altogether, you lot. Because you're the wrong sort to have children. You see? No, they've got to get all these other ways to, to, to work it. Just like, the, 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 as mentioned with the farmers there in the Wilderness Act. Oh, now you can't drive your truck to deliver feedings. Oh, no, you can get a donkey, though. You can get a donkey, carry that bale of hay and they feed them. You see, that's how they do it. Step by step, bill by bill. Well, now you can't heat yourself at home. That's okay for you to buy oil or gas from the big corporations to pump up your chin, but don't burn wood or coal or anything. Oh, no. No. See, corporations have blessed. It's, it's holy. It's very kosher. It's all blessed smoke, you see. Blessed it is. It's all the difference in the world. From Hamish Marcella from Ontario, Canada. It's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.